Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Okay, so we are currently going through 1 Corinthians, and today we are going to be reading 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 to 23. It's the whole of that chapter, so please I'll give you a bit of time to bring it up on your phone or on your old-style paper. Okay, I will, I will start. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still not worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like m- mere humans? For when one can say, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build, should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of, his, of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Thanks very much, Nick. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Simon, uh, affectionately known as Jacko, uh, lead pastor here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. It's really nice to see you all this morning. And, uh, oh, great, thanks, man. Um, uh, Yeah, really nice to see you. Some unfamiliar faces out there. Um, I look forward to maybe meeting you on the street after the the service. That's usually where I go after church. I don't run away because, you know, I don't want to talk to anyone. You should go and sit out in the sun on the front. So if anyone runs away, I'm there to catch you. That's how I do. Um, but uh, I look forward to maybe catching up with you after for a, um, a chat on the, on the pavement. Uh, we are working through 1 Corinthians, and I would encourage you to have that part of God's Word open that Nick just read, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, either on your app or on your device or, again, on the Bible perhaps you've brought with you today. Uh, let's pray, shall we? Oh, as well, just before we get into it, I'm the... Uh, I'm the COVID marshal, so, you know, before we get into, you know, some more exciting things, maybe, um, 
I actually call myself the co-vigilator. Um, always wanted to be an invigilator at an exam. You know, that powerful person who gets to say, pens down, you know, don't touch the, you know, don't turn over the paper. Um, I now have that power. Um, not quite. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm just here. I'm, I'm responsible to make sure that we are applying our COVID safe plan, which is to kind of keep distance, uh, keep clean, uh, and to sign in. So if you've come in and you're yet to sign in, please do that. Uh, that will just help us if we need to track anyone down if anything happens. So there you go. There's my co-vigilator announcement. Um, should we pray? Let's pray. Father, as we gather around your word this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we pray, pray that you grow our confidence in you, Lord, we ask. Uh, grow our confidence in your gospel. Grow our confidence in your church. Father, grow our confidence in Christ. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, you, we've been talking a fair bit about this city called Corinth, uh, AD 55, first century Corinth, uh, where the gospel was preached in this church under the grace of God and the power of the Spirit grew. Uh, Corinth, this city we've been talking about, was like Adelaide or like Sydney on steroids, right? Uh, Corinth was a place of great wealth, it was a, great, a place of sexual liberation and a place that was absolutely in love with celebrity and success. In Corinth, things had to kind of have a wow or a pop to make them kind of work. And so the church that Paul is writing to, AD 55 thereabouts, has got a real problem. They're wondering, right, how on earth will a church grow in this city? How on earth will the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ spread through Corinth when the message we have sounds so ridiculously pathetic? I mean, here's the sales pitch, right? Come, follow and trust for eternal life a, a Galilean peasant who was tortured to death on a Roman cross. It's not a great sales pitch, is it? Particularly for Corinth. And so they're, they're tempted, right, to compensate for the pathetic-sounding message by turning to really impressive leaders. Okay, the message is weak, we know that, but can we have some really impressive kind of pastors and preachers instead? That would be really good. It's a temptation we face as well, right? I mean, look, if we're honest, right, most of us think, right, it would be a whole lot easier to invite my family and friends to church. You know, sharing the gospel, evangelism would be much more effective if, and people would much more likely turn to Christ if things were just a little bit more impressive. A bit more pop, a bit more zing, a bit more wow. I mean, if the building was just a little bit more beautiful... If the music was reminiscent, here's a picture, I think, of the main stage at Falls Festival, that would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Um, and if the preachers were a bit more like this, the impressive TEDx kind of people, the people who get invited to speak at TEDx, right, who have those wonderful stories, who have those amazing statistics and those brilliantly insightful questions that everyone stops and goes, hmm, never thought of that before. And they never need notes, have you noticed that? I mean, I come with like half a tree's worth of notes. They never have notes. They're just incredible. Instead, you get me. You get me. And the truth is, right, we look around the place, we look at the sheer ordinariness of church, and it shakes our confidence, right, that the gospel message that we have to offer is actually as extraordinary as we actually say and sing that it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is a reminder that it's okay to have an ordinary church with a very ordinary pastor or bunch of pastors. Because why? God is at work through all of us. 
And it's God who grows the church. That's what Paul's going to teach us this morning. All of us, through everyone here, God is at work. God grows the church. That's what Paul's going to teach us this morning. I've got three points if you're a note taker. Three points. I don't know if they're equal in distance, if you're sort of spacing out how you take notes. But here we go. Here's the first point. Here's the first thing we learn. God grows churches. Pastors are just servants. God grows churches. Pastors are just servants. Have a look with me. Chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarrelling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? First thing to say here is the followers of Christ at Corinth, although they're all over the place, right? They've gone a bit, could have, you know, church gone wild. They're still brothers and sisters in Christ. They're real, genuine followers of Jesus, but they're also immature, worldly, and unspiritual. They're, verse 3, still infants. Paul's saying, look, I founded this church by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit five years ago, and you've not grown up at all since then. That's pretty much what he's saying. Has anyone here been to a church before? Maybe you grew up in a church that had like a crying room in it. Anyone been to a church? Show of hands, anyone? Yeah. You know those rooms which are sort of soundproofed, kind of up the back of church, you know, where, you know, if a child's screaming, you can take them, and if a parent just wants to scream, they can just go in there and have a crack. Um, you know, and if, and if you've been into a crèche, right, you've seen there's a, you know, there's a range of kids, right? There's little babies and maybe there's some toddlers running around, you know, all that sort of stuff. It would be pretty odd, wouldn't you agree, if you walked into that crying room or that crèche room and you found a 20-year-old laying on their back, sucking their thumb, screaming in their onesie, needing their nappy changed. Well, that's what the church was like at Corinth. An adult in nappies. That's not a good image. Just get that one out of your mind, right? They've not grown. And the proof for their immaturity, their proof for their lack of growth is their dividing over which human leader they're going to follow. This is what the whole section's been about from chapter 1, verse sort of 10 through to into this chapter 4. This is what we're in. Uh, Flick back with me to chapter 1, verse 10 in this book where Paul first raises the issue of division and clambering and connecting people to these human Leaders, he writes, verse 10 of chapter 1, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. He says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Kephas, and then another, I follow Christ. It's division, clambering, connecting ourselves to human leaders. And again, he raises it here in chapter 3, verse 3. Corinthians, brothers and sisters, you're still worldly. There's jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? You're acting like mere humans. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? Now, Paul's a really good guy. He's a good bloke. Clearly, right? He's the apostle writing this letter with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit like we saw last week. Apollos, right? Fabulous preacher, wonderful communicator of the gospel. We meet him in the book of Acts, Acts 18, and we're told he's just utterly brilliant. 
He preaches with passion and zeal and lots of people just can't resist the amazing arguments that he has, commending Christ to people and people are just repenting and trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are not talking about a church in danger of following false teachers at this point. It's not a church turning, you know, trusting in false teachers. It's a church trusting too much in human good teachers. Now, it should be obvious, right, that focusing on their own favourite teacher is going to create divisions and spark quarrels. Verse 3 tells us that. But actually, Paul's point is much bigger. He says, when you stress or emphasise which human leader you you favour, which preacher you like best, or which DG leader you like the most, if you do that, it actually stops God getting the glory that he alone deserves, and it stops you growing in your faith. Look at verse 5 with me. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only, say it with me, servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Now, there is a very, just really quickly there, the word servant in the original language connotes table waiter, right? That's what he is, just a table waiter. Not Sorry, I shouldn't say just, because some of us do that, right, as a living. Um, you know, I love table waiters, but, you know, like it's just saying, they, just, they serve tables. That's, that's the role. It's not this glamorous uh, up-on-a-pedestal role. It's just serving, getting your hands dirty. There's also a really pointed preposition in the middle of verse 5. I've always said this, right? Grammar is good for you, right? Grammar is good for you. Um, pointed preposition, can you see it? It's the word through, through. Paul has to remind them, I preach to you so that through me you might believe in Jesus Christ. You are not to trust in me, the preacher Paul says. You trust through me in Jesus. Ministers, preachers, pastors, elders, they're just servants. A great blessing but they're only men and women, flesh and blood. And as we grow as Christians, as we develop as Christians, as we mature as Christians, as we know Christ more, that's what we're meant to see. But at Corinth, right, they're not growing in their knowledge of Christ. They're growing in their attachment to particular pastors or leaders. They're ignoring the Jesus that Paul and Apollos are pointing them to and focusing on Paul and Apollos. And Paul gives an illustration to show what he means here. Have a look at verses 6 through to 9. Paul uses this illustration of farming. I planted the seed, Paul says. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants or the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose— and they will each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. It's a humbling illustration because farming is not a very glamorous profession, right? Who here can think of a famous farmer? Anyone? I've got a couple. Here's one. Old MacDonald. Old MacDonald, right? Famous farmer. Old MacDonald have a farm. I feel like I sing this song all the time at the moment. Um, he's on my mind. Um, here's another famous farmer. There you go. Farmer wants a wife. I don't even know who that guy is, by the way. Um, but uh, I, I imagine for some he's famous. 
But you know, it's hard to identify a famous farmer. But Paul uses this humbling illustration. Verse 5, he says, God assigns us with gifts for the ministries that we all have. Verse 6, Paul says, I'm just a sower. I just cast out the seeds into the field. I planted it. He preached the gospel to them. And Apollos, he watered the seeds. He watered it. You know, he taught them. He discipled them. He, he, having turned to Jesus, he helped these people grow and find their, what it means to have new life and security in Jesus. But neither Paul or Apollos are the ones really responsible for the growth at Corinth. God is. Now, I've noticed a little trend around City Light Church North Adelaide whenever I've visited some little homes. There's this trend happening where people have pot plants in their houses, right? And have you noticed on, like, virtual church and things like that, when you've watched any online church, the pastor has to have a pot plant behind them, you know, and some cool, like, really deep theological books next to them to make them feel like they're, I'm, just, I'm in touch with my hipster, but I'm also deeply reformed, you know, that sort of stuff. And it makes me sick. No, um... <laughs> Because I have neither. But, um, you know, I've noticed I've gone to people's houses and there's just pot plants everywhere. I feel like I'm having to clamber through plants, you know, just to get to the coffee machine, you know. And, uh, but they're making a comeback, right? I think because we're living in smaller houses and apartments and units and things like that. We don't have gardens. We're kind of back to the 1970s where everything's just hanging out with, you know, cool plants. Now, it'd be weird, right, to, to wander around your house and sort of, you know, I come to your house and you say, look, behold, I made this. And I'm like, you're, I think you're in trouble. You know, like, I think you need some help. Like, you didn't make it. You didn't make that plant. I mean, you could plant the seed, or if it was me, right, I'd just go down to Bunnings, right, and buy a pot plant and go, look what I made. No, you know, you can plant the seed, you can water it, you can shift the pot plant into the sunlight, and you can follow it all day long, but you can't create life. I can't create life. Only God can do that. Yes, as a church, brothers and sisters, here at North Adelaide, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. And we should be in that project together all the time, working as hard as we can with the different gifts that God has given us in different ways, because all of us should be involved in that disciple-making ministry. But it's only God who can enable someone to put their trust in Jesus. It's only God who can enable someone to grow and mature and become more confident and secure as a follower of Christ. It's God who gives the growth, not us. That's no excuse, though, right, to be lazy or idle. It's no coincidence, right, that Paul uses the illustration of a farmer. Um, I know a few farmers, and they work incredibly hard. They're up early, they're in bed late, work incredibly long hours, it's taxing, it's physical, it's challenging, it's uncertain. It's no excuse to be lazy, right? But it is a tremendous relief. It's not down to us, it's God. It's God who grows. We don't need to create spiritual life. We just faithfully, consistently, and persistently plant seeds. We tell people about Jesus, and we faithfully and persistently water them. This, that is, we keep encouraging one another from the Bible. We keep lifting one another up with encouraging words. We, we, when they're down, we keep praying for one another. Okay, application time. What does this mean for us? God grows churches, pastors are just servants. 
Well, I think there's a particular danger that we live in in this age of the internet. You could call it, right, the age of corona right now, I reckon. But uh, in the age of the internet, because, right, in the age of the internet, I feel like I'm some, like, ancient Luddite. In the age of the internet, we do this. No, in the age of the internet, right, we have tremendous access to celebrity pastors and incredible church leaders right across the planet, right on our phones. I mean, you could be listening to Tim Keller right now while you're listening to me. And that would be bad. But anyway, um, it's very easy to shop around until we find the right leader who is most impressive for us and who we feel will connect with our friends, whether it's the intellectual writer who can demolish any sceptical argument or an inspirational speaker who just moves us so profoundly. There's a huge amount, no doubt, there's a huge amount we can learn from others. And we'd be a fool to, to ignore the wisdom from other churches and other ministries and other leaders from around the world. But the thing is, we're often tempted, I'm often tempted to look around and think, if only we had that pastor. If only we, we followed that church program where they divide all their ministries into under the word, you know, the name, the, that is J-E-S-U-S. We look at these programs, we, we look at these people and we think, oh, if we had that, then everything would just work. Or I think, oh, if we had that, then guaranteed my friend will become a Christian if they hear that preacher. Or, or we say things like, oh, you know, I'm a Piper person. I'm a Keller person. I'm a, I'm a Chandler person. I'm a Harrington person. If you don't know who those people are, don't worry. 1 Corinthians says, you don't need to know them. But be careful, those of us who do know them. Be careful we don't give the impression that the gospel only comes with power if it comes from the lips of certain people. Or that churches only grow if they follow a particular model. Or on the flip side, right? We, we can think that our church gatherings and our pastor's sermons are so unimpressive, why would I ever invite anyone to anything at City Light Church North Adelaide? My friends are never going to put their trust in the Lord Jesus off the back of hearing a sermon on 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so we don't risk bringing our not-yet-Christian family or friends to church because we're not convinced that there's anything powerful enough going on here that would actually help them to see, hear, and love Jesus. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us this, the power in church comes from God, not people. It's God who grows churches, so don't worry too much about the pastors. That's point one. Thing, the second thing we learn is this. God uses ministry, human ministry, and judgment day will reveal the truth. The image here for Paul moves from the, the farm to the building or the construction site. Paul wants to teach us something else here. The, the farm image stressed that we're absolutely dependent on God, only God can make things grow. The building image teaches us that we actually all have a role to play, and it's important that we play that role well. That's what Paul's saying. The first nine verses, right, teach us to trust that God, to trust God, not humans, to grow the church. These next verses teach us that God uses faithful humans to do that work. Verses 10 and 11, have a look at me, show that we actually have a role to play. Um, verse 10, Paul says, By the grace God had given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. 
but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Notice again, the stress is all of God. Paul's gifts and ministries are given to him by God. So he's laid a foundation, verse 11, that's Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. You recall at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul said he came to do what in Corinth? To preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's his message. Trust in Jesus' death for your sins and you'll be forgiven. Trust in Jesus' resurrection from the grave and you will have forever life. He preached the good news and now others, he's gone, now others are building on that foundation that Paul has laid. So Paul continues, verse 12, if anyone builds on that, this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, Paul's there picking up language from the building of the temple um, back in uh, Chronicles and, and also Kings that Solomon built. Their works, he says, will be shown for what it is because the day when Jesus returns will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. It's a bit complicated, but Paul's laid a foundation teaching them to trust in Jesus for their forgiveness and their eternal life. And he says, but be careful. Anyone building on that foundation, that is, anyone helping you to grow as a Christian, they need to make sure that their ministry is also grounded in the teaching about Jesus Christ and him crucified. He says, it doesn't matter how impressive the pastor sounds. It doesn't matter if you're not yet Christian family, friends, love to hear them speaking. If they're not preaching Christ and him crucified, then forget it. It's just human wisdom and the church will not grow. Now, I don't think we're supposed to work out, you know, those, those six building materials. Uh, I don't think we're meant to sort of work out what, as if each material has a particular connection to something. I think it's a more general point. So in the context of 1 Corinthians, this letter, um, gold, silver, and precious stones, they represent teaching that builds on the secure, certain foundation of Christ and him crucified, whilst wood, hay, straw is teaching that appears to be Christian but isn't grounded at Calvary. Looks and sounds great, but it trusts in other things. And on Judgment Day, when Jesus returns, it will be revealed to be simply human wisdom and it will be burned up by the fire. That's what he's saying. Um, here's a picture. In 20, 2008, there was a massive, massive, massive earthquake in Sichuan province in China. Um, that was the epicenter was Sichuan. Over 90,000 people died in this particular earthquake. It was just, it was a disaster. It was particularly disastrous because it was a sense of which, you know, a modern growing country built buildings that couldn't withstand an earthquake. So why did so many people die? Well, the answer that they used to describe it following a big investigation was this, that they were tofu buildings. Tofu buildings. Now, to me, tofu does taste like something that you should use as a building material, right? Um, sorry. That's not very nice, is it? But I reckon that's true. <laughs> Clearly they weren't really using tofu as bricks, right? What they meant was that the builders used alternative kind of cheap substitutes for real bricks, as tofu is a substitute for meat 
in my opinion. No offence. Um, that's their phrase. It was their, that was the investigation, right? Um, the materials they used, right, looked like the real thing. But it was poor quality concrete, poor quality bricks. People were amazed, right, in Sichuan province, just how quickly these buildings emerged from the ground and how cheaply they were made, and yet they were materials they used were just wood, straw, and hay. And they were all destroyed, along with people. And Paul pictures us coming to the judgment day before the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he imagines us kind of walking through a fire, a fire that reveals the reality of our lives. And he says, you know, some hugely influential front cover of Christian magazines, blog followed by millions, grew a megachurch ministers, perhaps some of them will be exposed for being wood, straw and hay. You can imagine some of them, right? You know, high-fiving their way through the crowds on their way to the throne of God. Everyone knows who they are, but as they pass through the fire of judgment, their ministry was just ash. I'm not saying that's the case for all of those kinds of ministries, but perhaps for some. I think there will be a great number of church leaders, ministry, ministers, pastors, who on that day will be revealed to be all reputation and no reality. People who preached a tofu gospel and built a tofu church. This has three really important things to say to us as we chew over these verses. Just really quickly. First thing to say is, when we're talking about Judgment Day here, we're not talking about salvation in this, in this particular case. I want to remind us all that we're not saved by doing things for Jesus. We are saved by trusting in the finished work of Jesus and what he's done for us. His death on the cross, that's the message. The fire described here is not God's judgment determining whether some will have eternal life and others won't have eternal life. This is God weighing what people have done, their ministry, their work. In verse 15, Paul says they're saved even though all their ministry is shown to be pretty empty. So it's not about salvation here. But secondly, these things may not be obvious until the Lord Jesus comes again. You see, hay, wood and straw ministry kind of looks Christian where people quote the Bible and they talk about Jesus and they have small groups and it all looks great. It's only on judgment day when the fire comes to reveal that there was really not a lot to it. So we need to be careful. It's easy, of course, to say that any church that does things differently to us, you know, well, that's just an empty church, right? They don't do exactly what we do and, you know, well, they're empty, They're a wood, hay, straw church. They're a tofu church. We can easily do that. On the other hand, we mustn't be naive and stupid, right? Paul writes about this and warns us because it's a real danger. We'll we'll face that danger ourselves in following others who don't abandon the gospel entirely but sell out to culture where things are done that work in culture but aren't grounded in the cross and on judgment day will be exposed as empty See, God grows his church, but he grows it his way, and we're to rely on his power. Thirdly, so it's not about salvation. It's about, was the work really grounded in Christ? Sometimes we won't see it until the day of judgment. Thirdly, though, brothers and sisters, we can all look forward to reward. Chapters 12 and 14, which we'll get to probably next year in our our tracking through 1 Corinthians, (laughs) So come back for that, by the way. Um, 
will teach us that everybody, chapters 12, 13, 14 of 1 Corinthians, teach us that everybody, every Christian in every gospel-believing church is given gifts necessary to enable the church to grow. So we need everybody to be involved. Now, not everyone will be the pastors, be the teachers, be the leaders. That's the particular focus of these opening verses and chapters. But everyone is necessary and everyone is important. Every one of us can offer encouragement to everyone from the Bible. Every one of us can correct one another when we see each other kind of straying too close to the cliff or drifting away from Jesus. Every one of us is given the gift of prayer. Every one of us is commanded by the risen Lord Jesus Christ to to make disciples. And so every one of us can look forward to the day when our Lord Jesus Christ, our King, gives us our reward. And we come before the fire on that day, the efforts we've been made prayerfully to seek to grow disciples, to strengthen our brothers and sisters will be revealed. And wonderfully, I love this, did you see it in verse 8? It's not the labour, that's not the success that's rewarded, it's our labour that is rewarded. Many of us, I'm looking at you, many of us here have worked extremely hard in this church. Many have given up so much to see this church and other churches and families in this city grow and flourish and know Jesus better. And one day, Almighty God, the Lord of glory, will step down off his throne and place a crown on your head and reward you for the good work that you've done. It's a wonderful promise. God uses human ministry, our efforts, God grows his church, but he uses human beings. Praise God. Isn't that wonderful? We're we're co-workers with him in his project to share his glory with the world. We get to be part of that. There is nothing better. Okay, third and final thing we learn from this passage this morning. Sounds a bit intense. God will destroy the divisive because the church is his temple. God will destroy the divisive because the church is his temple. Um, From verse 16 and onwards, Paul warns us what's at stake. Verse 16, Do you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. You've probably heard that phrase, right? That the church is not a building, the church is people. It's true, right? The church is not a human institution. It's not just another kind of community special interest group in Adelaide. It is God's temple. It's his home. It's where God most particularly dwells. God is absolutely everywhere and he's sovereign over all things. But his presence is most intensely experienced in the church, right here, right now, and you look around you and go, really? Like, look at yourselves. No, you look great. But, you know, like, that, right here, this is where God is most intensely experienced. And so God issues a stern warning, destroy my church, my temple, my home, and I'll destroy you. Fair enough, right? But what's most surprising is how the church is being destroyed. Have a look at verse 18 right through the end of the chapter. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by human standards of this age, you should become fools, so you may become wise. 
For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. No more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Kephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. What's he saying? Paul is saying, you know, you're dividing over human leaders. And and that dividing over human leaders is simply seeking after human wisdom, following the ways of Corinth, following the ways of Adelaide, the world, and those ways don't work with God. And what a pointless thing to get excited about human leaders when you have, through Christ, everything. So don't destroy the church over your squabbling, quarrelling pride and jealousy over which human leader you follow. But you might ask the question, right, why does, how does... Division over human leaders kind of destroy the church, break up the church. Well, here's the big deal. It's because our only hope for salvation is in Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our only hope for growth and holiness is the spirit of Christ crucified. Our only hope for maturity and wisdom is Christ crucified teaching us by the spirit. And so when we build upon human leaders and put all our hope and focus on them, we turn ourselves away and others away from the real hope in Jesus and him crucified. And so turn from him, well, to turn from him is to turn to destruction. Just think for a moment, right? What happens when human leaders fail or when human leaders succeed in church? What happens when they fail? What happens when they're successful? When they fail, it is always sad. It's always sad when a respected and influential church leader falls. But if we've bought and built too much on that human leader, the results can be destructive. Rather than being saddened, rightly saddened, it can crush our faith. The earthquake can reveal that the building wasn't built on the solid rock of Christ, but was on a shaky foundation of trusting in a human. When leaders fail, if we built too much on them, we might end up destroyed. But what about when they succeed? I think it can be equally destructive if they succeed. When a human leader is faithful and fruitful, the church can become too dependent and way too reliant on them. The church becomes proud, right? You know, our way is the only way that works. Our pastor is the only one that you ought to look to. That author is the only one who will really give you wisdom on that. And when you start down that rabbit hole, you actually can move, rather than trusting solely in Jesus and him crucified, you start sort of thinking, I can really only grow as a Christian through that person. Start seeing them as the the sole source of power in the church. Eventually, that person, right, they will retire, they'll resign, or they might get hit by a bus. And what happens then? Your faith can get shaky. Someone came to me the other day, a few weeks back here at church. I wasn't preaching. And someone said to me, Simon, why aren't you preaching? You should be preaching. You're the pastor. And I'm like, well, like, I could be preaching, but I've rostered someone else on to preach. Oh, you can't do that. You're the preacher. Don't you preach every week? I'm like, I don't preach every week. You would get bored with that, right? You would go, yes. Everyone goes, yes. Thankfully, I'm not preaching next week. But um, 
But I said, I, I deliberately kind of only choose to preach like 60, 65% of the time. You know why? Because I don't want you to think that I'm the sole source of how you teach the Bible. I'm the only source of how you can grow as a Christian. Oh, if, only Simon, if I can only listen to when Simon's preaching. I don't want that. I want the power to be spread around so it's not just me. Because oh, I might retire, unlikely. I might resign. I mean, maybe this afternoon, no. Um, but I could get hit by a bus. What are you going to do? See, the church can dwindle, lose its power, lose its life. One of the things I love about the elders of this church is that they made a decision a bit over 12 months ago to employ the most ordinary pastor they could find. You're looking at him. So that you would have zero temptation to trust in me over trusting in Christ. It's a good thing. I... I want us to be able to explain, you know, when someone says to you, God willing, as we grow as a church, and if someone from another church says, wow, I've, I've heard that City Light Church is growing, it's really exciting, what are you doing? I want us to be able to say, it's not us, it's God. We're just holding on to his bootstraps for the ride. That's what I want us to be able to say. That's a healthy church. The power is with God. As we wrap up, let me ask you this this morning. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I know some of us here this morning, I know some of you are, maybe you're here this morning and you're still searching, you're still looking into the gospel, still weighing up whether or not you should put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's very easy, I agree, it's very easy for you to be probably put off this morning by the ordinariness of Christians around you, by the ordinariness of this gathering. But you know what? We're meant to be ordinary. Church is not about extraordinary messengers, but an extraordinary message, the message of salvation. The message that God came from riches to rags, became a human being, died on a bloody Roman cross to save you and me from our sins and to rise again to offer you and me eternal life free of charge. Please don't wait. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, please don't wait to be impressed by a pastor because you're not to put your trust in a pastor. You're not to put your trust in a preacher. It's Jesus who's impressive. So there's nothing to stop you trusting him today. And brothers and sisters, it should be an encouragement to the rest of us too not to wait until you feel more impressive before you share the gospel with someone, your family, your friends, your colleagues. It doesn't matter how ordinary you feel. It doesn't matter if you're not as intelligent or as articulate as the person you're hoping to share the good news with. We don't need to be impressive to share the gospel with, of Christ with people. I wonder if you recognise this building it's coming up on the screen. Anyone recognise that building? If you've got really good eyesight, you can read what it is. It's the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Um, I've not been there. I didn't take that photo. Um, thanks, Google Images. There you go. Well, that's the Metropolitan Tabernacle. That's where the great 19th century uh, preacher, Charles Spurgeon, um, preached for many, many, many years, preached hundreds of sermons, and with his 
clear exposition of the scriptures and powerful gospel message, thousands and thousands and thousands of people became Christians. Um, He had extraordinary fame, incredible intellect. His reach was wide. Um, God really used him powerfully. Um, Apparently that sort of sat on one side of the river and on a Sunday night, if you're going to go and sort of um, you know, jump on the bus, you'd just say, I'm off to go and see Charlie, and they knew exactly where you were going. Um, you just jump on. He was that famous in London. How was he converted? How was he converted? This is a really neat little book, actually. This is Spurgeon describing how he came to know Jesus um, in his own words. I won't read his words, but it was, a, it was a snowstorm in the year 1850. Not many of us were then uh, born then, but in 1850, snowstorm, Spurgeon, because of the nature of the storm, he took shelter in a little chapel, Um, On that day, the service was happening. The snowstorm was that bad that the normal pastor couldn't make it to preach the gospel. And so guess what? An illiterate farmer stood up and bumblingly shared the gospel from a chapter in Isaiah. And on that day, Charles Spurgeon became a follower of Jesus. It's amazing, isn't it? A bumbling, illiterate farmer who God happened to use on that particular day because the regular teacher of the Bible wasn't there. And God used that to transform a life who then went on to transform thousands. As I read that, I was thinking, maybe I should just sit down more and listen more and get other people to preach and we might see amazing things. Be encouraged. You read the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. How ordinary are the disciples? How, I mean, they are beyond ordinary, yeah? And yet God used those 11 ordinary disciples to turn the world upside down. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that turned the world upside down through those 11 shabby disciples, the same power that God used through that ordinary illiterate farmer in the year 1850 is the same power at work through you and me. Do you believe that? Amen? And I've heard many of your testimonies of how God used ordinary mums and dads, ordinary, I wish Stella would do that at our house. That would be really great. Um, I've heard so many of your testimonies how God used ordinary mums and dads, ordinary grandmas and grandpas, ordinary siblings and college buddies and roommates to bring about new life as they shared the gospel with you. Brothers and sisters, believe in the power of the gospel, not in the power of the pastor. And live like the power is from God. Work hard. Let's work hard together, yeah? Trusting that our extraordinary God is at work through ordinary people like you and me. So encouraging. Looking forward to that day when we see Jesus. And he says, well done. Good and faithful servant. He places that crown on his head and he pulls a chair back and says, come and feast. And we see him and enjoy him forever. Bring it on. Plenty of work to do before that maybe comes. Should we pray? Let's pray. Lord, we just pause for a minute and we just give you great thanks and praise for the way that you've just worked in each of our lives perhaps here today. Father, we thank you for the ordinary mums and dads, the ordinary grandmas and, and grandpas, the, the siblings, the, the college mates, the, the buddies we've just hung out with who 
shared the good news with us, took that risk, trusted in you, and shared the hope of Jesus with us. And so we stop this morning to thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Father, we pray this morning as well for anyone here this morning who's yet to turn to Christ. Father, I pray that you would remove me, remove all distractions, that they would see just how impressive and lovely and beautiful and relevant Jesus is. And Father, thank you for the encouragement of your word. That as we disciple one another, we read the word with each other, we pray with each other, we encourage each other. You take those things, Lord, and you grow us. Father, help us to, to commit ourselves to those things, to each other. That we grow to know Jesus better. Give you all the glory. So, Father, use us, we pray, to share the good news of Jesus, to make disciples. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.